Well, Merry Christmas season to you. Thanks for being here. You've joined us on week four of a series about shame and honor. We've been learning in this series that uh, most of us carry shame or guilt or regret around with us, and often we misidentify it or we deny it or we distract ourselves from it. We've learned about shame and honor cultures, and because we don't live in a shame and honor culture, we often misidentify shame as uh, low self-esteem or all sorts of other things. You might be wondering, what does shame and honor have to do with Christmas? And here's what it has to do. Jesus, who is the one true God, left the honor of heaven to come down into the shame of a fallen humanity, uh, a human uh, a humanity that had turned its back on him. And as a result, we live in the consequences of our sin. There's a pollution. There's uh, death to our bodies physically. There's shame in our spirits. There's all sorts of pollution down here. And he left the honor of heaven to come down and carry our shame. So if this is your first Sunday with us, it's been a really life-transforming series. Uh, so many people have been telling me the truths that we're learning here in Luke 15 are just changing their lives. I know they're changing my life. I'm so excited about this series. So uh, if you've missed the last three weeks, they're all available, video or audio, on our website, prescottcornerstone.com. Week one, we learned in Luke 15 that when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are not only forgiven, but we are also honored by our Heavenly Father. And if you have shame or guilt or regret in your life at all, it's a message that you need to watch and listen to. It doesn't change the truth of the gospel that we've heard over and over, that we who are guilty are made innocent by Jesus' work on the cross, but it adds such richness to it that it's not like you're in a position with God where you're forgiven, but he still kind of sneers at you and treats you like the black sheep of the family. No, when you come and trust in Christ, uh, your shame is completely covered. Since then, we've been looking at barriers that come between us and the honor that God gives to us in Christ. God, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he now sees you as honored. But if you're like me, a lot of days, maybe you don't see yourself as honored. And there are a few common barriers, a few common reasons why we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And the first one is our ongoing mistakes. Week two, we looked at our sin struggles and our flaws and our mistakes. And we'll start to learn about God's grace and this extravagant honor that he gives to us in Christ. But then we lose our temper or we make a poor choice or we fall into a, a sin habit. And we, we think, how could God possibly honor me? And in week two, we unpacked uh, how he can and how understanding that will actually help set you free from those things that would enslave you. Last week, shameless, we looked at the big kahuna shame, that big thing from your childhood or maybe a recent season in your life or maybe something that a parent said to you that you just carried this shame with you your entire life. It's a big life-defining shame. And last week we saw in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, he carried our shame when he went to the cross. So you don't have to carry that shame anymore. This week, week four, we're looking at another barrier, another thing that, that kind of blocks our ability to receive the honor God gives us in Christ, and that is the shame that other people put on to us. If you're like me, you've got some people in your life or maybe even some places physically that you could go to. And sometimes around Christmas time when you get together with family, you're around those people or places that stir up or remind you of the shamefulness in your past. And you, you, you kind of, for me, there's this tension. It's like, I'm learning uh, to live under this extravagant grace of my Heavenly Father. I'm learning to redefine myself the way He sees me in Christ. But sometimes when I get around the, just the right people or just the right circumstances, these old shames resurface. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Do you have any situations like that or, or people like that that bring up feelings of guilt or of inadequacy or of regret? Here's my observation. We struggle to receive the honor that God gives to us when we're around people who shame us, when the people closest to us shame us. Now, there's some people who are like uh, manipulative and they motivate by guilt and they intentionally, you know, shame you. 
But there's a lot of other people who, um, through no doing of their own, just at least for me, my own baggage, my own stuff from my history, being around them will stir up these, these feelings of shame. In fact, recently I gathered uh, with a bunch of relatives, and, and I knew that with some of them, I would have that dynamic. Not necessarily because they're trying to shame me, but just because of my own stuff. And I was praying through all that while studying Luke 15 and this series of shame on honor, and it totally transformed my time with them. And I'm going to tell you about that at the end of our time together. But let's start with this observation. I mean, who are the people in your life? What are the situations where you're starting to understand God's honor and his grace, but you get around them, and whether they're trying to or not, you feel shame again? Okay, visually we could, we could demonstrate it this way, right? Scripture says that all of us are sinners. Uh, all of us have sinned and we live in a world that's polluted by sin. And our sin separates us from God. When we come to the cross, when we trust in Christ, we're told what? Though our sins were as scarlet, that they're washed by Jesus' work on the cross, white as snow. There we go. Okay. And last week we saw in this story of the lost son who returns home, that this lost son who'd been so shameful, when he returns to the father, the father takes the one very best robe of honor in that house, a very, very meaningful symbol in that culture. And the father completely covers over the shame of the son with his honor. And this is how we are learning to live as followers of Christ on earth. But what we're talking about today uh, is those people or those situations where when you get around them, it kind of feels like this. (laughs) It kind of feels like they don't want to let that shame die. Or for whatever reason, it comes back. And and there's certain people who have um, a, a way of reminding you of your failures or reminding you how they you haven't lived up to their expectations. Uh, or maybe just being so successful themselves that you get around them and you feel this shame again. And as you interact with them, you feel like they have this hold on you, right? You feel like they're just holding you under this shame. Is it just me or does anyone else have people like that in their lives? And, you know, maybe for you it's the parent who you get back together and once again, they remind you that you have not lived up to their expectations. Uh, maybe it's the sibling. You know, maybe you've got a brother. Like You, you all get together for Christmas, and, and you're there, and you show up in this like ratty minivan, and your kids are knocking over the Christmas tree and spilling punch, and their kids are like sitting there with their hands folded, and they show up in their new BMW, and their life is just perfect. And it's like just looking at them makes you feel ashamed of yourself because how, you know, that son turned out so perfect and then there's me, right? We all have these different situations that can stir up in us these old senses of inadequacy and shame. A lot of times there are people who are carrying shame around with them like a full bowl of milk, right? They're carrying the shame around with them. So whoever they bump into, a little of their shame spills out. And if you've got a relative like that, you know, you get around them and you start to feel shame because their shame is spilling out on you. And for a lot of us, the Christmas gatherings can look a lot like this. We're going to try and have a good time and we're who bought what for who and, and we get there and we don't even realize that this is why we feel stressed out about getting together with all those people. Well, for all of us who, who feel like this, <laughs> there's good news for all of us who struggle with the shame that other people intentionally or accidentally project and spill onto us. Here's the good news, okay? As a follower of Christ, I no longer need to get my honor from other people, okay? When I go to that family gathering, when you get together with those coworkers, uh, when you get in that situation where those old shames come up or where someone puts you in a, a shame lock, the hold, you, can, you don't have to be hungry, You don't have to have an appetite that I need their honor and approval. And here's why. Because you already are filled, you already are honored by your heavenly father. If you've returned to Christ, if you've had that moment in your life where you said, God, life my way isn't working out. I repent. I return to Christ. You've been covered by his honor. And so you don't don't need, now it's human, it's natural. You're still going to have human emotions. We long to be honored by those we love and by those we've grown up with. We long for that. But in Christ, we no longer need that. We have it in our heavenly father. 
And today's message kind of has two halves. And they're sort of joined in the middle. Here's the second half. As you fill up on the honor that your heavenly father gives to you, well, you're now able to give honor to others. And what's the purpose for that? The purpose for that is to show others the heart of God. The heart of a God who cares about the lost, who cares about the people who are far from him. The heart of a God who pursues sinners. And that's why we're here as the body of Christ, as followers of Christ, is to continue that work of pursuing those who are far from God. And it really becomes a transforming and incredible thing when you're able to get together and you start to realize when there's gatherings of people that everyone's hungry for honor. Everyone's hungry to, to be unconditionally loved and to be honored. And, and, and as you fill up on the Father's honor, you're able to go, not with a mindset of who can I get honor from, do they like me, but who can I give God's honor to? And it totally changes our lives on earth. You could put it this way. If you're a note taker, because my father honors me, I can stop seeking honor from the people in my life and start giving honor to them. So we're picking back up in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start this week at the very beginning of the chapter. These last three weeks, we've focused in on one of three stories that Jesus told. Jesus told the story of a lost coin, the story of a lost sheep, and the story of a lost son. And so far we've been in the story of the lost son, but today I want to unveil for you a little bit of the context. Why did Jesus tell these stories? And we see it in Luke chapter 15, verse 2. And here's what we see. Uh, Jesus had a controversial way of honoring who? People who were unhonorable. People who in his shame-honor society should have been shamed should have been shunned, especially by a religious teacher. But Jesus had this very controversial way of, of finding the most shameful person in the room and going to them and honoring them. And we see this in Luke 15, verse 2. The Pharisees are talking, the religious elite of the day, who, did not, who, who knew a lot of the law of God and knew a lot of truth about God, but Jesus tells us over and over, totally miss the heart of God, which is a heart of grace, a heart of undeserved favor for everyone who repents and returns to him. So the Pharisees are speaking here and they say, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners. Now, usually the Pharisees, they're talking about, is Jesus from God or not? This is the question they're always posing because Jesus is doing these miracles and things, but his teaching is so revolutionary, they're confused and they're constantly asking, is Jesus from God or is Jesus from Satan, right? He's one or the other, they feel. And uh, so here they're saying pretty much Jesus can't possibly be from God because God is holy and doesn't have anything to do with sin. And this man welcomes sinners and he eats with, and again, in the shame-honor culture, the significance of this is he honors them, okay? In a shame-honor culture, saying that Jesus eats with sinners, it doesn't mean that uh, he's at Chipotle and he's eating a burrito, and the person next to him is a sinner, okay? That's not what they're talking about. In a shame, honor culture, to eat with someone, first of all, to be invited into someone's house is a sign of honor. Secondly, to be seated is a sign of honor, okay? If we were in a shame, honor culture right now, you guys are all in the position of honor, all right? And I'm in the position of shame, because in a shame, honor culture, the honored people sit, like kings sit, like Jesus sits at the Father's right hand, and everyone else stands, okay? That's the way it works in a shame-honor culture. And if you want to honor someone, you bring them into your house and you seat them. If you really want to honor them, you then bring them food. And, uh, you know, for example, this, it's still this way in the ancient Near East. Uh, if you work for a multinational corporation and you're doing a deal with someone from a shame-honor culture, If you're doing a deal with someone from California, you play golf and you go eat steak together and then you make the deal, right? If you're doing a deal with someone from a shame honor culture, you do the deal and only if the deal goes through do you then sit down and eat together and be honored, okay? This is the significance. Jesus is honoring sinners and the Pharisees are furious about it. Okay, now next we see the Pharisees, they had a point, okay? Jesus has a record. Jesus has a record of honoring sinful and shameful people over and over again. This isn't some peripheral thing on the edges of Jesus' life. This is the center of Jesus' life. And here are just a few examples for you. 
In your notes are the references. I'd encourage you to look these up and get in your Bible later this week. First of all, Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, Every rabbi at this time, uh, a good, popular, honorable rabbi, will recruit some disciples to learn of him. Well, Jesus had 12, you know, who specific disciples. He said, come follow me. One of those was Matthew, who was a tax collector, which was a shameful, shameful position to have. Uh, So Jesus has this track record of honoring sinful people and shameful people, the demon possessed and the diseased. Last week we saw the lepers, who most people wouldn't even talk to. Jesus touches them, heals them, sends them to the place of honor, the temple. Zacchaeus, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you, you heard the, the little song of Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Zacchaeus is this, uh, this um, height-challenged chief tax collector, okay? And, and, and Jesus sees him up in a tree and sees something in his heart of repentance and turning toward God. And he says, Zacchaeus, let's eat together. Let, let's go into your home and let's eat together. Uh, th- then there's Mary Magdalene who was not one of the 12, but was almost like one of them. There's this little group of women, if you read the Gospels closely, who, who traveled around with Jesus and the 12. And by the way, that was revolutionary in that time for Jesus to honor women, period, that way. But Mary Magdalene especially had been possessed, we're told in Mark 16, with seven demons that Jesus cast out of her. Prostitutes, Jesus uh, ate with, honored. The foreign and shameful woman at the well, if you've heard that story of the woman at the well. Many other sinners and tax collectors, and this is just scratching the surface, okay? So the Pharisees, they do have a point when they accuse Jesus of hanging out with sinners. And here's an important note. Jesus is not honoring their sin, okay? Jesus is not honoring their sin. Instead, he's demonstrating the Father's heart. This is the heart of God. Jesus is almighty God in a human body walking on earth so we can see, we can relate to something that we could never comprehend with our minds. Here's what God looks like. Here's how God acts. Here's how God feels. And how God feels is that those, far, those who are far from him should return to him. And every one of these three stories Jesus tells in Luke 15 are about things that are lost and the owner pursues them, or in the case of the father, he anxiously waits for that son to return, and when there's a return, there's great celebration. Now, I just want to point out um, uh, quickly, in, in some of those interactions that I showed you of Jesus honoring shameful and sinful people, almost every time the Pharisees will come and be like, well, what's going on here, Jesus? Why are you honoring these people? And almost every time, Jesus will then say something like this, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 9, verse 12, when he's hanging out with a bunch of sinners, which often meant prostitutes in that day and tax collectors. Luke 19, verse 10, the Pharisees confront Jesus when he honors Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 4, verse 34, Jesus has been hanging out with this shameful woman who's had five divorces and is living with this other guy and sleeping with him but not married to him and and she's a foreigner and she's a woman and here's this honorable rabbi talking to her and the disciples come back and they're confused because Jesus is telling her about God's love for her and the living water that's available in him and they come back and 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 they say Jesus aren't you hungry come on we all went to get lunch and Jesus said no no my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, the reason I'm on earth is for people like her to know that God loves them and and is pursuing them. So let's get back to Luke 15. The Pharisees are speaking, and and they, they, they make this accusation of Jesus, which is a true accusation that he honors sinners. And Jesus responds with these three teachings. These three teachings of a lost coin, which was like a like a, an engagement ring, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And the big point in every one of the three stories is that when what's lost is found, there's great celebrating, and that this is the heart of God toward you, that he wants to find you. And if he did find you, then when he found you, there's celebrating in heaven, Jesus says. Angels throw a party. So we're going to pick up in Luke 15, verse 22. We are in the middle of the story of the lost son. 
And just for those of you who, who maybe missed one of the last three weeks, there's a lot of shame and honor significance in the story of the lost son. Uh, here's how it goes. There's a dad and he's got two sons, older and a younger son, just two, okay? And the younger son says, uh, dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, dad, I don't really love you. I just like your stuff. You're better off to me dead. So everything I would get when you die, can I just have it now? It was a shameful request. The father honors the request. The son gets his half. Actually, it might have been a little less than half of the estate because usually the oldest son got more in those times. Okay, And the son takes uh, this wealth. And we saw that this wealth, it's not just like money in a bank account or a 401k or selling a rental house or something. Okay, This is generations of wealth, generations of, of people who've worked with livestock and with crops out under a, a Near Eastern sun, and generations of wealth. And the honorable thing was for every generation, they would accept what their ancestors had earned, and they would work hard to add a little to it, and then they would give it to the next generation. And that's why if you didn't have a family, um, you were in a shameful position because good luck. There wasn't a bank to go get a loan from, okay? So, so this son takes this generations of wealth, and he goes to the Las Vegas of his day, and he squanders it on prostitutes and all sorts of wild living. And he ends up, because of his shameful choices, in the most shameful position imaginable. Uh, even today would be a shameful position for a man in the Middle East or the Near East, and that is working with pigs, having no honorable clothes, having no family, being homeless, being without money, and working in a foreign land for a foreigner. And the son, uh, this is like a symbol of us being broken about our sin, of us being broken when we realize that being far from God doesn't work, that life would be better with him. And the son, that runaway son, he comes to his senses, Jesus says. He has a moment where he comes to his senses and he has a, a genuine repentance where he thinks, you know, even my dad's hired servants, they eat better than I'm eating now. So I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to be genuinely sorry. And the son does. He goes back to his dad and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. But, but will you let me in as one of your hired servants? And we, and we saw last week that the father, he no longer defines that son by his mistake. As soon as the son returns, the father defines him by his return and by the extravagant restoration of the father. So, so this father, we're told, uh, sees the son a long way off. It's like the son's coming down this old, you know, whatever kind of trail or country road was there. And, and the father sees him. It's like he's waiting for him. And the father lays down his honor because the patriarch doesn't run in those societies. And he runs to him, throws his arms around him, kisses him. And we saw last week how he covers the son's shame with his honor. And that's where we pick up in verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. A lot of significance in that we unpacked last week. Put it on him. Cover his shame with my honor. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the one fattened calf, the best one, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24. Doesn't this sound like what Jesus says after he hangs out with tax collectors or prostitutes? What was lost is found. The father's rejoicing because this son of his was dead and is alive. Born again, right? He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to honor a shameful person who's now covered by the father's honor. And today we pick up in verse 25. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, this older son... Is he out partying? Is he out blowing away the family's money? No, he's out working in the field. He's doing what he should be doing. He's doing the honorable thing. And you, and you can picture it in your mind. He comes in, his hands are muddy, he's sweaty, he's tired. And he gets back to the house and he hears music and dancing. He's curious. So he calls one of the servants and asks, what's going on? Well, the servant replies, verse 27, well, it's your brother. He's home. <laughs> and your father ha has honored him by killing the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And this is the heart of the father, to have the lost son back. Well, look at this next verse, 28. The older brother became 
angry. Right? It's this thing. The older brother refuses to go in. Everyone else can honor him. I'm not going to honor him. Frankly, I'm a little upset about this. Really upset, okay? Because here, I've been doing the right thing. I'm making the right choices. He makes the wrong choices, and now he gets honored. So this is interesting. The father leaves the party. The father went out and pleads with the older son, right? The father loves the older son just as much as the younger son. And as the father's pleading with him to, to be reasonable, be, be, come on, your brother's home. Verse 29, he answers his father. And he says this, look, dad, all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Uh, we talked about this in one of our past weeks. If you go to an African country right now, if you go to many shame honor cultures and they really want to honor you, they really want to honor you, they'll slaughter a goat, okay? That's why this fattened calf thing, it's a big, big deal that the father would give that kind of a symbol of honor to the wayward son. And the, the son who's been faithful and at home says, well, Dad, this isn't fair. You're giving him a fattened calf. You've never even given me a goat, But then this son of yours, he, who goes off and squanders your property with prostitutes, he comes home and you honor him more than you've ever honored me. Do you understand a little more through this shame honor lens why the older brother's so upset? A lot of times we look at this story and say, like, oh, that older brother, that's not like me at all. But when we understand the shame honor society, this, this is a big deal. Verse 31, my son... The father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Okay, this is, this is huge right here. Everything I have is yours, okay? Right, there's two sons. There's an estate. The younger son got his share and it's gone. So, so, so the dad's kind of like, um, you're so upset about this one fatted calf and this one robe. <laughs> But do you realize every acre of our land, every animal of our livestock, every servant, every building, it's all yours, okay? And there's this, uh, this, this principle in here. The, the son who stayed home, he's so fixated on his brother's shamefulness that he can't even receive the honor that he does have. But he doesn't see that he has it because he's so fixated on this person. Okay, so the dad says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead. I mean, for all we knew, he was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Well, a few observations. First of all, the father honors. The older brother shames. There's an implication here for us as human beings created in the image of God, okay? We are not gods, but we are created to reflect God's nature. And because of that, you have the power to shame the people in your life. And you have the power to honor the people in your life. And for some of us, maybe this is just the thing to take today because maybe you haven't really realized that as you get together with your kids and your grandkids, they're all hungry for shame and honor and you're just thinking about the football game, okay? You have a power. Whether you're, you are using it, whether you realize it or not, you are shaming or honoring the people around you. So let's look a little bit at the Pharisee within because we all have him. We all have an inner person who's so proud of our accomplishments, who so wants to celebrate me, that the thought of someone else getting celebrated or getting forgiven or getting honored when they've been more shameful than we have, well, we don't like that. And that's because we don't really understand grace yet at the heart level. So let's just make a few observations about the Pharisee within. I have him, we all have him. First, the Pharisee within says, my life is better than that person's life because I work harder. 
I mean, yeah, Uncle Ted's life is terrible, but it's because he can't hold down a job, okay? The dude makes terrible choices, so that's why his life's terrible. So why should I honor him? Yeah, I mean, their life's miserable, but of course it is. Look at the choices they make. Mine's better because I work harder and I make better decisions. It's the Pharisee within talking. Next, the Pharisee within me, he gets angry when someone else's mistakes are covered by grace. Maybe it's because the Pharisee within thinks, well, then why have I been working so hard to be so good? They can get away with that. Older brother's angry. There's, a, there's an actual anger. When, when the real heart of God, the fullness of grace, spills into a situation, the Pharisee in me actually gets angry about that. Next, the Pharisee within me says, well, they can all honor him? Fine, but I won't. Because he doesn't deserve it. I'm not being mean. He just doesn't deserve it. Okay? I'm, not be, I'm just being fair. See, there's a, there's a legality about the Pharisee who is true to the letter of the law. And the Pharisees were true to the letter of the law. But they totally missed the heart of God. And the Pharisee within me can say, I'm not going to honor him because he doesn't deserve it. And that's true. And you're right. Next, the Pharisee within me insists on defining people by their past mistakes even after almighty God who spoke the stars into existence has redefined them by his grace. And I'm not here to be the Holy Spirit for you guys, okay? As we go through these, just let the Holy Spirit, he's going to tug on your heart at one of these. He's going to bring some relative or someone to mind. Oh, yeah, I guess I have been playing the part of the older brother. I've been a little bit like the Pharisee. Next, the Pharisee within me gets so fixated on someone else's shame. I'm so, I need to make sure he doesn't forget what he did. The Pharisee within me is so fixated on someone else's shame that it distracts me, it blocks me from receiving the honor that the Father wants to give to me as a follower of Christ. I mean, that moment there in verse 31, that is incredible. The, the older son, he genuinely is so worked up, he doesn't realize the whole place is his. Every calf, every cow, every servant, every acre of land, the house, it's all his. His dad is at the end of his life, and the dad's like, son, it's all yours. But he's so fixated on what the other relative of his doesn't deserve and what the relative of his did wrong, he can't even see the honor that his father has given to him. I wonder, in your life, is there someone you've been holding shame over? Is there someone who's you know, they're not perfect, but they've been trying to come to Jesus like this. But, but every time you see them, you like to let them know. You haven't forgotten. I wonder, is there a particular point as we look at those signs of the Pharisee within that the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, that's you. And you know what? Technically, you're correct, but you're missing the heart of God. And if you don't get the heart of God, have you really received it? Have you really understood how far you were from him? How extravagant your shame was and how extravagant his covering of your shame is at the cross? So the point in all three of these stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is celebrating. There's a huge party in all three of these stories when sinners return to God. And again, the references are on your handout. You can look at those specific parties later this week when you have a chance. So we've looked at the text. And now as we go out into family gatherings and work parties, all sorts of gatherings, I want to give you two applications to take with you. Two halves of our application today. And you could summarize it this way, getting and giving. Kind of goes along with Christmas presents, right? I'll remember that. Getting and giving of honor. And I have found in my experience that these two are really, really 
related, okay? Uh, you, you can't give honor if you haven't received it. If you haven't filled up on the Father's honor, you're not going to give it to others. But when you fill up on the Father's honor and focus on giving it to others, you, you find yourself a lot more satisfied than when you're hanging out with people just hungry for their honor. So let's start with the getting. And for some of you, there may be deep wounds in your life or in your past to where it's just one of these two halves that you focus on today. This Christmas, find your honor from your heavenly Father. Okay? I don't need as much as... And you know what? It's normal. It's human. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be hurt that there are those relatives who will never honor you. It's okay. It's okay to hurt about that. We know that Jesus hurt. Jesus had emotions, okay? But in those emotions, you can go to your heavenly Father. And you can remind yourself who you are in Christ. For me, a lot of times it looks like going to the bathroom and closing the door. I've talked to God in a lot of bathrooms, okay? Okay, you're hanging out. There's all these feelings going on, and all of a sudden the, the shame is creeping on you, and someone's doing this to you. You just get alone somewhere with God. You say, Father, Lord, remind me of your heart. Remind me of how you've covered me at the cross. And Jesus, thank you for your honor. Thank you for carrying my shame. Thank you for who I now am as a child of God and a co-heir of Christ, washed and covered and clothed. Thank you for who I am. Help me to go out there and live like it. Notice this. The younger son never leaves the party. Remember that party? The father leaves the party to, to convince the older, the older brother, come on, be, be reasonable, come on in. The, older, the younger son, he never does leave the party to go out and try and talk his brother into honoring him. But some of us, we spend our lives leaving the party. <laughs> God wants to honor us in Christ, but we are just fixated on, but I'm never going to get my brother's honor or my dad's honor. I've got to keep working for that. No, you don't have to. Just stay in the party, Okay. The younger son, why doesn't he have to leave the party? Because he has more than enough honor from where? From his heavenly father. And when that appetite stirs up in you, oh, why aren't they honoring me? What can I do differently? What? You have more than enough in your father. And we remind ourselves of that. Okay, I, you know what? You know what? If you spend your life waiting for some of your relatives to honor you, you will be waiting your whole life. Okay, there are some people who just will never get it because they haven't received it, so they can't give it. And if you spend your life waiting for that parent or sibling or aunt or uncle or loved one to honor you, you will be waiting your entire life. But that's okay, because you already have more than enough, more than enough from your heavenly Father, this Christmas, I don't need to look to my relatives or others for my honor. I can find it who, where, in God himself, through Jesus Christ. So that's the getting. And you can't give if you haven't gotten. For some of you, maybe that's your focus this Christmas season. Getting that honor from your heavenly Father. But I'm telling you also, if you decide to go into these interactions to give honor, it's going to help you get it. Okay, so next, giving honor. As the Father's honor redefines me, okay, because of Jesus, it has redefined me in heaven. But as I learn to look in the spiritual mirror and see myself for who I am in Christ, not who I was, not what I've done, but who I am and what Christ has done, as grace redefines who I am today, I grow to become more like God. And what does that mean? It means I'm now able, from the overflow of God's nature poured down into me through his honor, I'm now able to honor others. Romans 12, if there's any one chapter in scripture that kind of summarizes spiritual maturity of a Christian, it's probably Romans 12. It starts off about how you renew your mind and you live your life as a, 
a living sacrifice and you don't fit the shape of the world anymore. You fit God's shape and it keeps building and building and it gets to verse 10 and it says, here's a mark of a mature Christian. You will honor others more than you honor yourself. Now, this can be hard for us in a shame-honor culture but because we're not in a shame-honor culture. We don't have these clear symbols, right? It's not like, well, I'm going to get the best robe and put it around. It's like, how do you honor someone nowadays? Do you, do you give them the TV remote? You know? Maybe do you pull the chair out for them and push it back in? You know? Uh, we, we don't always know how to, there's not clear cultural markers, but here's what I've learned. If you go in with a heart that says, God, help me to honor these folks, and especially these one or two people who, who tend to do this to me, will you really help me to honor them and find my honor from you? If you go in with that heart, Asking him, help me honor them, uh, he'll help you. It'll show through. Your honor will show through if it's in your heart. So for some of us, you know what that means? For some of you, it means no longer holding shame over others. Is there someone that you're going to see this Christmas season and the gift you give them can be this? Now, in the, because of sin nature, because of the reality of the world, I have to kind of put a disc, not a disclaimer here. But, you know, if someone is physically abusing you or sexually abusing you, you need to report them to the authorities, okay? Allowing someone to abuse you does not honor them. That honors sin, okay? If you're in an abusive situation, that's a, a little bit different, okay? And, and there's, again, we're not honoring sin, but we're showing the heart of the Father, which is if someone is genuinely repentant and, they, and they're looking for restoration, that we're extravagant in our love to them, okay? And I just have to say that because sometimes people misunderstand and they think, well, I'm in this abusive situation and because of that, I have to stay in. No, no, if you're in an abusive situation, get out of there. Why? Because God honors you, okay? God loves you. And you're not to be... Uh, allowing yourself to be physically or sexually abused, you get out of there and you get the help you need and we will help you with that, okay? But that said, that said, and, and again, if, you, if you've been abused, God doesn't need you to restore that person, okay? You go get your restoration. God will take care of that person, okay? That aside, grace covers everything, Okay? And our role is not to reshame the people who are looking for God's grace. And this is just the heart of God that these sinners who are so far from God, these prostitutes, these tax collectors, these shameful people, this is not the peripheral edge of Jesus' life. This is the center of his life. This is why he came to earth to pursue them and to show them if you will return to the Father, the Father honors you. The Father loves you. So this Christmas, I don't need to look to those other people. I can look to God for my honor. And because of that, I can start giving honor. So I want to ask you, I want you to really think about you and your situation here, okay? Who is the least honored person in your family? Who's the person who, because of their past or because of their personality or because of their quirks or because they always open their mouth and say ridiculous things, they have themselves in a position where nobody honors them. Is there a person like that in your workplace? Who in your family do you feel does not deserve honor? Who in your family do you feel does not deserve honor? And that's the one this Christmas season that you might focus in on. Why? Because grace gives undeserved honor. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unearned favor and honor. 
So we've got these two halves of application for you to take into the next six days. Come back here next week. We're going we're gonna to get really practical. How do you actually show grace to somebody? But for today, let's go with these two applications. This Christmas, receive the gift of honor from your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Is that the one for you today? And, and you know, my heart breaks for you if you've got some people who, who shame you and refuse to honor you. I know how that feels, okay? And my heart breaks for you. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt that they'll never come around, but I have experienced that there's more than enough honor. There's more than enough in your heavenly Father. Is that the gift you need this Christmas? Just receive that, believe that, live it, remind yourself of it. Secondly, this Christmas, to whom, to what individual will you show the honor of the Father? You know, it's great that you got Uncle Jerry something from the Sky Mall magazine. But do you know what he really, really, really needs? He needs some of this in his life. Okay? And you're there. You're set there by God to show him the heart of God so that he can experience God and draw close to God. I mentioned at the beginning that recently I gathered with some people who I hadn't seen for about eight years and that mostly because of things in my own person, some of those people stir up in me feelings of shame and guilt. And, and from studying this, I went into that gathering not hungry for their honor, but continually filling myself with the Father's honor and just focused on giving it. And you know what? I had the greatest time with those folks. The best time I've ever had. I mean, usually it's like, when's this going to end? And this time it was like, wow, it already ended. Bummer. Such a difference. And I'm telling you, these two applications, filling up on his honor, deciding who are you going to give it to, it, it can just totally change for you the way the rest of this month goes for you. So we want you to know as a community that we are here to help you. We're here to walk with you. Uh, think about it. This is God's desire for the church. Can you imagine a community where everybody shows each other honor? Where nobody has each other in the hold? That's God's desire for a Christian family. That's God's desire for a church. That's how we become a light in a dark world. Could you imagine being part of a community like that? That's, that's our desire for you as leaders. That's what we want for you. So uh, as we go, if you look in your program, there's a little piece of paper. The purpose for that is that you might write the name of one or two people to whom you will give the gift of honor this Christmas season. You're going you're gonna to release them from the hold, or maybe you haven't had them in the hold, but you've just not ever really honored them. To whom will you show honor? And as you go from here, our goal isn't necessarily that you come to the front. Our goal is that you go from here knowing I'm going to fill up on the Father's honor and here's the one or two people. Okay, so, so you do whatever for you will best crystallize in your mind and heart. Here are the people I'm going to honor. Maybe it's the person who had you in the hold. Okay, here are the people I'm going to honor. If it's best for you to write them on your hand, write them on your hand. If it's best for you to write them on that paper, we've got a manger here. And, and as we have our closing song, especially it's therapeutic for a lot of people, you can bring that forward. And we've got prayer partners here who can pray with you. We've also got a number you can text. And you can text the name of that person to this number. And here's why this is important if you want to communicate with us. We have a prayer team that meets every Thursday. And, and Pastor Dan told me at our staff meeting this week, he said, John, I know what you're teaching on. Our prayer team has committed. They will pray for every name they get this Thursday. So if you just want to put in a first name and they say, here's, the, here's Tom, okay? Lord, we pray for whatever brother or sister in our congregation knows Tom. Will you help her or him to honor Tom this year? Will you help her or him to show Tom your heart? Will you give them real wisdom? Will you be with them? And we want to pray for you like that. We want to walk with you. So if you want to communicate that to us, you can bring it up here or you can text it to the number that's on the screen. We're here to help you, okay? Would you stand with me and we'll pray together? Father, we thank you for your extravagant love to us. Lord, will, 
will you forgive me for the Pharisee in me? Will you forgive me for the times that I don't really understand your grace and I, I relate to you by my good works instead of your work on the cross? Lord, I just pray for every man and woman in this room. Lord, you desire that every one of them would be in your arms, under your love, embraced by you, kissed by you, like you kissed that wayward son who came home. Lord, if there's anyone in here who hasn't yet returned to you, would today be the day that they say, God, life my way is not working. And, and Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I want to return to you. Lord, maybe today is the day of salvation for some people in this room. Lord, for those of us who've experienced your grace that washes away our sin, will you help us to live as sons and daughters of a king, as honored and clothed and washed co-heirs with Christ? Help us to fill up on that this Christmas season. And, and where there are wounds and areas of lack in our hearts and in our lives, Will you help us to feast on your honor and fill up on your honor, not leave the party? And Lord, for many of us in here, there are specific names and faces of people who are close to us or who will be with, and, and you're challenging us to be like Jesus, to honor the unhonorable, to pursue the sinners so that the lost would be found, so those who are dead would become alive in you. So I just pray in great faith that you will empower these men and women in this room to be full of your honor and to give it freely, and that through them, those who don't know you will come to know you, that through them, the work of the Father on earth will be completed, which is to go to the sinners and the lost and the sick, and to find them, and to heal them, and to bring them home. Lord, use us to show your heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.